Is atheism merely a lack of belief in the existence of gods? Is it, is it only some atheists who actively believe there are no gods? Or is atheism properly defined as the belief that gods don't exist? And if it is just a lack of belief in gods, does it bear any burden of proof? Does it shoulder any burden of proof? Or is it only the claim that gods do exist that bears a burden of proof? These are the questions that we'll tackle in today's episode of The Apologetics. This is Chris Date, and welcome to The Apologetics, where every other week I discuss a wide variety of theological issues and show how a properly biblical worldview can help defend the historic Christian faith from its critics. Join me as we think through what we believe and why we believe it, and not something else. Well, hello, and welcome to another episode of The Apologetics. My name is Chris Date, and I am not coming to you live right now, as I usually am, um, every other Monday at 6 p.m. Pacific. What you are watching right now has been pre-recorded, um, and that's just because this nice camera that I'm using uh, and that I've been using for some time is my wife's camera, and she has a photo shoot. She's a professional photographer, and she has a photo shoot at the time that this is airing, um, and so I had to pre-record uh, in order to be able to cover the ground that I wanted to cover today. Um, so I am not here to um, uh, to talk to you live, but I will, for parts of the stream today, be in the chat, uh, participating in, in chat with you viewers, and so um, I may be able to interact with you a little bit there. Uh, but trust me that this episode will be worth your time, despite the fact that I'm not here live with you. Um, and I'll tell you what, what I'm going to be doing here in just a moment, although technically I already did it before the, um, before the intro music in, in, in the cold open. But before I get started with that, I just want to remind you, as I've started to get into the habit of doing, that The Apologetics is, um, is part of the Trinity Commission. The Trinity Commission is a network of podcasts and YouTube channels that are in one way, shape, or form um, associated with Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary. Um, you could find Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary at trinitysem.edu, where SEM is short for seminary. And this is the uh, school that is uh, headed by Braxton Hunter and Jonathan Pritchett of Trinity Radio fame. Um, and other professors at Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary include Leighton Flowers of Soteriology 101, Steve Gregg of The Narrow Path, uh, the bros at the Bible Bro Down, um, and others. Tim Stratton of uh, um, uh, Free Thinking Ministries, Chris Featherstone, um, the, the show that he does. Um, and the reason I mention all of this is because not only are, are we all professors at this school, but we also have these public um, ministries, YouTube channels, podcasts that are um, uh, th that cover theological and apologetics issues. Um, so if you're interested in learning informally, um, you know, outside of the classroom from me and from those other professors I mentioned, then check out the Trinity Commission and the various member shows. I think that you will uh, enjoy them and get a lot out of them. Um, Let's see, is there anything else I want to say today? Um, I don't think so. 
<laughs> I don't think so. Uh, so let's go ahead and, and dive right into the topic today. And as I said in the cold open before the intro music, um, I'm going to be addressing two questions today. All right. Um, those questions are these. Number one, is atheism merely a lack of belief in the existence of gods? And number two, does it, uh, if it is a lack of belief in gods, does it shoulder any burden of proof? All right. So let's talk about this first question. Well, first, um, is atheism merely a lack of belief in the existence of gods? This is certainly what many atheists will have you believe. So here, for example, is the front page of the American Atheists website. And you can see that under the question, what is atheism? They say that atheism is one thing, a lack of belief in gods. And then they go on to insist that... Um, and, and you know, consistent with saying that it is a lack of belief in gods, they go on to insist that atheism is not an affirmative belief about anything. It's not the affirmative belief that there is no God. And atheism does not answer any question about what a person believes, according to the American atheists. It is, a, it is something that only answers the question of what people don't believe, namely that there are gods. This is... The claim, it's what I'm calling the lactheist smokescreen. The word lactheist, you could tell, just comes from the fact that, you know, atheism is here alleged to be a lack of belief. So it's lactheist. And the reason I say that it's a smokescreen is because I don't think it's true, number one. And number two, I think it is meant to hide a reality um, that I don't think should be hidden. And that will come into, I'll explain what that is uh, when we get to the second question about burden of proof. So this is what I'm calling the lactheist smokescreen. And what I want to do today is debunk that lactheist smokescreen, beginning with demonstrating that atheism really ought to be understood not as a lack of belief, but as the belief that gods do not exist. So to get us started, let's, um, I want to play a short clip from one of Cosmic Skeptic's videos. Cosmic Skeptic is otherwise known as Alex O'Connor. Um, he has a very popular YouTube channel where, among other things, he discusses uh, atheism. He was scheduled to debate Braxton Hunter, whom I mentioned earlier, um, at the uh, Capturing Christianity conference coming up here very soon. But for uh, family reasons, Braxton ended up having to bow out, and Trent Horn is taking his place. But anyway, Cosmic, as I said, Cosmic, Cosmic Skeptic Alex O'Connor is a popular atheist YouTuber, and here's where he here's one of the things he says about this distinction between um, lacking belief and believing the negation of the thing you lack belief in. All anti-theists are atheists, but not all atheists are anti-theists. And if we go once again back to our dictionary definition of atheism, uh, we can see that it actually accounts for this, okay? Atheism is either a disbelief, that's anti-theism, or a lack of belief, that's atheism in God. All right, so notice that Alex is making a distinction between disbelief on the one hand um, actively believing in the negation of the proposition and lack of belief on the other hand, just not affirming belief in the proposition. And he appeals to what he calls our or the dictionary definition of atheism here, which as you can see does indeed distinguish between disbelief versus lack of belief, or at least as he's understanding the grammar here. Um, theoretically, it could be disbelief or in other words, lack of belief. 
in the existence of God or gods, and, and that will uh, that distinction may come up here in, in a moment. But according to Cosmic Skeptic, disbelief in the existence of God or gods is anti-theism. It is the active belief that gods do not exist, whereas lack of belief is simply the non-belief that gods exist. All right, so according to Cosmic Skeptic, disbelieving means believing there are no gods. And he thinks that's more properly termed anti-theism, which he thinks is a subset of atheism. But the superset, atheism, he thinks is merely the lack of belief, not disbelief, but lack of belief that gods exist. Now, we'll talk about this more in just a moment, but I want to point out that um, I am extremely skeptical that anyone who claims merely to lack a belief in gods actually only lacks a belief in gods. I think that it's probably true that without exception, every single person who makes that claim does in fact believe gods don't exist. And I think this is true of Cosmic Skeptic. Um, and I think that um, he even uh, subconsciously agrees with me that the two are not really distinct. And here's why I say that. Remember, he's claiming that disbelief is believing that gods don't exist, anti-theism, whereas atheism, he says, is simply non-belief, a lack of belief. But then look what he goes on to say. Uh, it's unfair to talk about atheism as an active community when really all that atheists are and the only thing that binds them together is a disbelief in something. That really doesn't make any sense. So notice that having appealed to a dictionary definition in which disbelief and lack of belief are purportedly contrasted, Having done that and having said that the superset is the lack of belief and the subset is the um, disbelief, he then says that what unites all atheists is disbelief, right? So uh, one possibility is it's just simply a, a slip of the tongue. That's certainly possible. But again, I suspect that he subconsciously knows what I think is probably very true, which is that everyone who makes the claim that atheists merely lack belief, in fact, know that no, atheism is the disbelief in God in the sense of believing the negation of the proposition that gods exist. But let's put that aside for a moment. And let's return to dictionaries, because it is true that some dictionaries support that distinction. Um, so we looked a moment ago at the Google def definition. If you type define atheism into Google, you'll get what I showed you a moment ago, and it's what Cosmic Skeptic put up on the screen in the clips the, that I played. Um, and that dictionary is based on Oxford languages. Well, another online dictionary that is powered by Oxford is Lexico, and they offer the same basic definition, one that includes both disbelief, which Alex O'Connor understands as the act of belief that something doesn't exist, uh, and or or as lack of belief, the non-belief that gods exist. So here's another dictionary definition, although to be fair, they're both powered by Oxford. Here's Merriam-Webster's de definition, which seemingly supports the same distinction, just in this, you know, the reverse order. So now it's a lack of belief or a strong disbelief. So you've still got that distinction. But then you start to find dictionaries that don't seem to support that distinction. So here, for example, is a dictionary you'll find if you go to dictionary.com and search up atheism. And notice that it defines it as the doctrine or belief that there is no God. And then the alternative they offer is disbelief in the existence of a supreme being or beings. Now, up until now, based on Alex's parsing of the grammar, we have understood disbelief to mean belief against, right? Belief in the negation of the proposition. 
Um, and I think that is what's going on here. The distinction between these two definitions offered by dictionary.com is not lack of belief versus disbelief. The distinction is between atheism in the sense of disbelieving in the monotheistic, Ju you know, the monotheistic God of Judeo-Christianity, Judaism, Christianity, and, Abraham, and um, uh, uh, Islam. That's the first definition, and that's why they have just the singular God and it's capitalized. But then in order to accommodate the, the fact that atheists also don't believe in other purported gods, they add the other, the other thing, the, the disbelief in the existence of, in other words, the doctrine or belief that there is no supreme being or beings. Right? So the first one is a negation of, uh, it, it's a belief in the negation of monotheism. Whereas the second definition is disbelief in the existence of any kind of theism. There's still both definitions trading upon the active belief that something doesn't exist. Or so it seems to me anyway. Again, the, however, it's possible that to disbelieve isn't necessarily to actively believe against. It could just be a synonym for a lack of belief. If we go back to some of these other definitions, lack of belief or disbelief could just be two ways of saying the same thing. If you understand that, or not to be a distinction between two different options, but rather um, a distinction between two different ways of putting the same concept, then this definition would indeed be two opposing, you know, two different definitions. One, the active belief that there is no God, the other being the simply lack of belief. But that seems unlikely to me, number one. Number two, Cosmic Skeptic, as he, as he used the word disbelief, doesn't use it to mean um, simply a lack of belief. He means it actively believing against. So this definition, um, uh, this dictionary definition seems to uh, fail to offer the definition of a lack of belief. And it's not the only one. Um, here is uh, the American Heritage Online Dictionary. Disbelief in or denial of the existence of God or gods. All right. Um, and here again, I think it's using disbelief and uh, denial of as, or here I, th I do think disbelief in or denial of are two ways of saying the same thing. Um, and that word disbelief is being used here, if it's being used here in the way that Alex O'Connor, Cosmic Skeptic, is, has just used it in the clips we watched, then this dictionary also does not support the lack of belief definition. And the same is true of the Cambridge Online Dictionary. The belief that God does not exist. That's the active belief, the, uh, what, what Alex has meant by disbelief. And here's the HarperCollins Webster Dictionary online. It's the belief that there is no God. It is the doctrine or belief that there is no God. It's a disbelief in the existence of a supreme being or being. So there does not appear to be any support here for the notion that atheism is simply a lack of belief. Here's Macmillan's online dictionary, the belief or theory that God does not exist. Here's Longman, the belief that God does not exist. So when we survey the dictionaries, so uh, we, again, Alex O'Connor used the phrase our dictionary. Uh, I think that in his, the video that I pulled the clip from, he says the dictionary definition. But as we've seen by this uh, survey of dictionaries, Lack of belief is by no means the dictionary definition, nor is it by any means supported as, a, as one possible meaning by all dictionaries. Some dictionaries say that atheism can be a lack of, exist, a lack of belief, but many don't appear to offer that definition. So appealing to a dictionary isn't going to help us resolve this dispute. 
But let's continue to hear from Alex O'Connor and see what else that we can have, to, what else we can say about this. And again, this is corroborated by our dictionary definition of the word atheism. If we look at the root words, we split atheism into a meaning without and theism meaning God. Uh, so if you live without the influence of a deity, well, you're an atheist. So now notice that what Alex is, uh, is doing here, and he has moved away from this line of argumentation, um, but he is using the argumentation in this older video. Um, so I'm addressing that because there are still people who are going to hold to this line of reasoning. But anyway, what he is arguing is that the etymology of the word atheism is the negation of theism. Right. You heard him say it. Here's that. Here's what he said, appealing to the dictionary definition. Well, a dictionary definition, the one offered by Google uh, via Oxford languages. He says regarding this, that we split atheism into a, which is what in linguists, linguistics is called the alpha privative. It, it deprives, it negates, it, it, you know, that kind of thing. We split atheism into a, meaning without, and theism, meaning God. So he's arguing that atheism is a theism or not godism and he's claiming that that is supported by the etymology of the word but that's not true and you can see it right here on the screen you see it's true that the word is formed by beginning beginning with the alpha privative a a, a. But the thing that is being pervaded, <laughs> deprived, negated, isn't theism. It's theos, the Greek word theos, meaning God. And you can see in the um, graph of the word's etymology that those two pieces of speech, those two lexemes, a lexeme is a, par, uh, is a distinct part of a, uh, of a word or, or of text or of speech that communicates something. So we've got two lexemes here, the lexeme ah, which is which negates, and the lexeme theos, meaning God. Those come together to form the Greek word atheos, or atheos. I'm not, I'm not sure the accent isn't shown there. That means without God. And then the word comes into French as uh, atheisme. Is, is how I, I imagine that the French uh, the, the French would pronou pronounce that. I don't know. Atheism. <laughs> I don't know. That was totally racist. I'm sorry. I don't, I'm not trying to make fun of the French accent. I, I love it. Um, but you can see here that this really doesn't seem to be negating Godism. Rather, it's negating God and then putting ism on that negation. Not no Godism, but no God ism right and and you can even see this in um the etymological dictionary online for the word atheism notice it's the greek atheos plus the suffix ism and it points out that it comes from the french atheisme uh, atheisme uh, atheism i'm not sure how the french would say that so it's not a negating theism it's Atheos, no God, with ism at the end. And in French, that suffix ism, or isme, however they pronounce it, it, this suffix refers to doctrines, ideologies, or belief systems. And the same is true of the English suffix ism. 
It is a doctrine, a theory, a religion, an adherence to a system. So coming back to the etymology of the word atheism, it's not no-godism, it's no-god-ism, right? It's, it's not a-slash-theism, it's a-the, no-god-slash-ism, no-god-ism, which would be the proposition that gods do not exist. So... Um, Putting aside the different dictionary definitions, the etymology of the word is certainly no godism. In other words, the belief that no gods exist. But there's more, and you can really start to see why this makes sense when you, if we look at, if we think in terms of an ism as a proposition or set of propositions, as um, Matt Dillahunty, also a well-known um, atheist uh, atheist YouTuber and other things, um, he, he, he makes the point about propositions here. Let's listen. Because what we do in logic is we evaluate propositions. There is a proposition, some God exists. That is the, the proposition that we're evaluating, and if, you're, if you accept it, you're a theist, and if you don't accept it, you're a non-theist or an atheist in, in the weak sense. We'll come back to atheist in the weak sense in a moment, but for the time being, I want you to note what he said. He said, there is a proposition, some God exists. And he says, if you accept that proposition, you're a theist. So this proposition, some God exists, just is theism. Theism is this proposition. And a theist is somebody who accepts the proposition. That's by Matt Dillahunty's own words. Now, with that in mind, and, and by the way, this is this is standard. This is acceptable, um, accepted within the liter literature. So here, for example, is the entry on atheism and agnosticism in the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy. And notice that Paul Draper here, a well-known um, professional philosopher, among other things, he says that theism is best understood as a proposition. You see, we say that theism is the belief that God exists, but by the belief that God exists, we don't mean the psychological state of believing it. What we mean is the is something believed. It is the propositional content of belief. So the proposition some gods exist is the proposition. That's theism. And a theist is somebody who affirms that proposition. So if we, if we lay it out, here's let's say here's the proposition. Some God exists. That's theism. A theist is somebody who thinks that, who affirms that, who accepts that, right? So the ist accepts, not E-X-C accepts, but A-C-C accepts. The, the ist accepts or affirms or believes the ism. And that's, there's nothing controversial there. And there's nothing controversial about this in countless other words that end in ism and their ist counterparts, right? So dualism is the belief that, uh, well, anthropological dualism is the belief that human persons have both a material body and an immaterial soul. That's dualism. And a dualist is somebody who accepts dualism. Nihilism or nihilism is the belief that life is meaningless. And a nihilist is somebody who accepts that proposition that life is meaningless. Idealism is the view that the ultimate 
reality is mind or mental states. And an idealist is somebody who accepts or affirms or believes that proposition. Naturalism is the belief that there is nothing supernatural. And a naturalist is somebody who affirms naturalism. A materi materialism is the belief that all that exists is only matter in motion. And a materialist is somebody who accepts that proposition. Again, the ist accepts, affirms, or believes the ism. Anarchism is the belief that there should be no government, and an anarchist affirms that, accepts that proposition. A, ca a casualism, I'm assuming this is casualism because it's not spelled like causalism, you would expect it to be spelled. But casualism, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, is the belief that everything is random. Everything is the result of random uh, randomness. There's nothing, there's no um, order, there's no in purpose or intent or anything like that. All is random, no, not even anything determined. And a casualist is somebody who affirms casualism. Again, the ist accepts the ism. But what Matt Dillahunty is here suggesting is that the proposition some god exists which is theism, is something which atheists simply aren't convinced of. In other words, he's saying that the ist, unlike all the other ists, um, doesn't accept the ism that goes by the same name. Rather, the ist rejects some other ism. Right? The ism in this case is theism, the proposition that some god exists. And the atheist, according to Matt Dillahunty, is somebody who simply rejects theism, um, regardless of whether they affirm the proposition that no gods exist. So unlike all the other cases we looked at, in which case the ist affirms the ism, here Matt wants to offer up a completely different kind of relationship between, the, between ist and ism. And that relationship isn't even the ism of the same name. It's atheist and the thing that they, the other ism that they reject. And that just, why would we treat this as the one exception to the rule that an ist affirms an ism? No, it just makes, it makes so much more sense. It's so much more reasonable to say that the proposition of atheism is no gods exist. That is a claim. And that the atheist is the one who accepts that ism. No, the atheist does not simply lack belief in gods. The atheist does not simply reject theism. No, like all other ists and isms, the atheist accepts atheism. Atheists should be thought to accept the proposition of atheism, just like all other ists and their isms. But there's one last line of reasoning here I want to offer, um, and it will build upon what Matt says in this clip from that same video. Let's watch. Sure, but the distinction between weak and strong atheism is that weak atheism is the rejection of P, and strong atheism would be the acceptance of not P where P is some God exists. So remember in the last clip we watched from him, he mentioned atheist in the weak sense. And here he's expanding on what he means by that. So he's arguing that there is a proposition P and that proposition is theism. And an atheist is somebody who, uh, uh, an atheist is somebody who lacks belief in that P 
And there are, according to Matt, two kinds of atheists, at least. One is a weak atheist who simply does not accept the proposition of theism. And then the strong atheist likewise doesn't accept the proposition of atheism, but they go further and they accept the proposition that gods do not exist. All right. Now, here's what I want to... I'm going to argue that that distinction between weak and strong makes no sense if atheism is the lack of belief. You see, what Matt has just said here is that you've got this proposition P, some God exists, and that proposition is theism. And he's saying that the weak atheist is somebody who simply says, I'm not convinced of that, right? Somebody who just says, I'm not prepared yet to accept the proposition that some God exists. And we've already talked about why this doesn't make sense. It would be the one exception, it seems, to all the other ists who affirm the counterpartism, right? Or the, the corresponding ism. But putting that argument aside, uh, what Matt wants to say is that a weak atheist is that all they do is that. They simply reject the proposition of a different name, namely theism. And then he wants to say that, but some atheists go further than those weak atheists. Yes, they deny the proposition that some god exists, but they go further and affirm another proposition, namely that no gods exist, which is the proposition I'm calling atheism. And he's saying that a person who accepts or affirms or believes this proposition, the proposition that no gods exist, is a strong atheist. Now, here's what I want you to um, consider. Uh, I would say realize, because I think it is a realization, but I want you to, but, but I, I'll, I'll just be a little bit weaker, excuse the pun, and say I want you to consider this. What Matt is proposing is that the same ism, namely atheism, can refer either to the rejection of one proposition or to the acceptance of a totally different proposition. It can refer either to the proposition that God exists and it's a rejection of that, or it can refer to the acceptance of a different proposition, namely that no gods exist. But what sense does that make? It, it, doesn't, it doesn't seem... You've got atheism having two fundamentally different meanings. One, the rejection of one proposition. The other, the acceptance of some totally different proposition. That doesn't make any sense. And Paul Draper, going back to that article from the Stanford Encyclopedia, makes a similar point. He says, scholars sometimes, and, and Matt is among them, if he counts as a scholar, um, use adjectives like strong and weak to develop a taxonomy, and, and we just heard Matt do that. But he points out that if one does that, if atheism is defined as a psychological state, and, and let's be clear, that is what Matt's doing. I'll come back to this in a moment, but I, just to prove that that is how Matt is defining the, uh, the, the so-called lack of belief in gods, just listen to this, the, what he says in the same video. What is lack of belief? And that's easily answerable by two words, not convinced. So lack of belief is not convinced. What is not convinced? It's a psychological state. Okay, so Matt is defining atheism, the kind that is um, shared by both weak and strong atheists. He is defining atheism as a psychological state. Now we'll come back to that um, Stanford Encyclopedia article in a moment and see why that is relevant here. But first, I want to point. I want to go back to a more recent video from Alex O'Connor or Cosmic Skeptic. Because he, I think, has come um, fairly recently, I think this is from about a month ago, 
um, come fairly recently to a realization, the realization that, um, yeah, atheist probably shouldn't be defined as a lack of belief. And psychological state, the, the psychological state claim that Matt Delhunty is making, that atheism is just a psychological state, the state of not being convinced, that is exactly why Alex O'Connor now rejects that definition of atheism. Let's listen. Yeah, I don't believe in God. Whoop-de-doo. I, I don't really want to make a, make a big song and dance about it. I'm also increasingly entering into this debate about the usage of the word atheism and whether it's uh, appropriately used to describe simply a lack of belief in God. I've always very strongly advocated that atheism just means a lack of belief in God, um, but studying at university I found that this just kind of doesn't exist in the academy, right? Like in, in academic works, it's always used, the term, I mean, atheism, and it's always defined in all of the dictionaries, all the philosophical dictionaries, as the belief that God does not exist. And I thought that, you know, whatever, it doesn't really matter because whatever term you use, what matters is the actual belief. I mean, I could call myself an atheist, I could call myself a theist, by which I mean that I don't believe in God. As long as you understand what I mean by the term, it doesn't matter, right? But there is actually a really interesting discussion around the term and whether it even makes sense to say that atheism is just a lack of belief in God, that is essentially a brain state, whereas theism is not a brain state but a proposition, right? Theism is something that can be true or false, and so it would seem that atheism, which appears at least on the surface to be the negation of theism, would also have to be some kind of proposition. Uh, but if it's just the lack of belief in God, then it's nothing more than a psychological state, which it seems weird to contrast with a proposition. You see the point that Alex is making? He's saying that theism, by even Matt Dillahunty's own acknowledgement, is the proposition that some god exists. But Matt is here defining atheism not as a proposition, but as a psychological state, the state of not being convinced. And yet, as we saw earlier, all the isms that have to do with beliefs and systems and things like that are propositions, not psychological states. So what sense does it make to treat atheism as a psychological state unlike all those other isms including the ism it's meant to negate right it wouldn't make any sense um but but that psychological state part of atheism according to matt dillahunty introduces another problem for the lack theist explanation or the, the definition of atheism is simply lack of belief namely paul draper says if atheism is defined as a psychological state then what sense does it make to distinguish between weak and strong atheism See, remember, Matt is claiming that weak atheism is the psychological state of not being convinced of the proposition that God exists. But he defines strong atheism as the proposition that no gods exist. So weak atheism, then, is... They're, they're both purportedly forms of atheism, but one of them is the uh, is simply the acceptance of atheism as the psychological state of not being convinced of God's existence, but he wants to turn strong atheism into not a psychological state, but a proposition. That's what the point that Paul makes here. A proposition is not a psychological state. You see, this definition of atheism as merely the lack of belief leaves strong atheism out in the rain. Because if it, by defining atheism as simply a psychological state, the state of not believing uh, or not accepting or not being convinced of the proposition, then what sense does it make to say that the that atheism is simply a psychological state and that that's what uh, the weak form of it is, but the strong version of it isn't a psychological state, it's a, it's a proposition. 
that's uh, that does not make any sense you see, if both weak and strong atheisms are psychological... Oh, sorry, I wanted to back up. Now, to steal man Matt Dillahunty, though, I could play the devil's advocate and argue that actually both weak and strong atheisms are both psychological states. So let's say, hypothetically speaking, that Matt had said not that strong atheism is the proposition that gods do not exist. Let's instead say that weak atheism is not being convinced of the proposition that some god exists, whereas strong atheism is the psychological state of being convinced that no gods exist. Okay, now at least you've got both forms of atheism being psychological states, which would still run into the problem that Alex O'Connor explains in that video, because now you, you're, atheism is the one ism that's a psychological state, unlike all other isms, including the ism that it's meant to negate. But then you still run into a different problem, namely that if both weak and strong atheisms are psychological states, one being not convinced, the other being convinced, then those psychological states concern totally contradictory propositions, right? The weak atheism is the psychological state of being not convinced of proposition A, some god exists, but Strong atheism would be the psychological state of being convinced of a totally contradictory proposition, namely that no gods exist. So then in what sense does it make to call them weak and strong forms of atheism? You see, when, when, you, when you consider this weak versus strong distinction, either you have to say that one form of atheism is a psychological state and the other is a, is a proposition, or you have to say both are proposition, or both are psychological states, but those psychological states concern two completely opposite propositions. And in either case, what sense does it make to call them weak and strong versions of the same thing? It doesn't make sense. So the weak-strong distinction makes no sense if atheism is merely lack of belief. These are the four um, re these are the four reasons I'm offering for disputing the claim of Matt Dillahunty and the older, uh, the, the, or the, I should say the younger, the longer ago cosmic skeptic that atheism is just a lack of belief. No, number one, don't appeal to dictionary definitions because not all dictionaries agree. Number two, the etymology of atheism isn't a slash theism, meaning no slash godism. Rather, it's um, no god, it's a the slash ism, no god, slash ism it's the belief that no gods exist etymologically and then number three atheists should be thought to accept the proposition of atheism just like all other ists and isms and then finally the weak strong distinction makes no sense if atheism is merely lack of a belief so uh yeah i'm not gonna i'm not gonna buy this <laughs> this lack theist smoke screen <clears throat> but let's say for the sake of argument that um, the that the case I just offered is baloney. And let's say that, for the sake of argument, atheism is indeed a lack of belief in God. The question I want to turn to now is, would atheism, if that's the case, shoulder any burden of proof? And this is why I think that this is just a smokescreen. The, the, the atheist who claims that this is what 
atheism is, namely just a lack of belief in the existence of gods, I think is typically, not always, but typically doing that in order to, number one, it's not true in the first place, and number two, they're doing it in order to avoid having to shoulder any burden of proof. Here's how Matt Dillahunty explains it in a debate with Blake Junta at the Beer and Bible or Bible and Beer Consortium. For any given claim, and note that I'm talking about a claim here, not a question, there are only two possibilities. Either you believe the claim or you do not believe the claim. If you do not believe the claim, in other words, you reject it, that doesn't mean that you accept the contradictory claim. The default position should be to, re to reject or disbelieve all claims until such time as there's sufficient reason to accept them, which could be really easy for some claims. All right, so notice what he's saying here. He's saying that um, there's we're, we're not dealing with the question, does God exist? We're dealing with the proposition, some God exists. And he's saying you either accept that proposition or you lack belief in that proposition, right? So you either affirm or you don't affirm. And then he goes on to say, uh, he goes to offer as support for this notion, the concept of, uh, or the analogy of a jury trial. But when it comes to things like trials in a court of law in the United States, we have a presumption of innocence until guilt is proven. There's a burden of proof set on the prosecution. They're raising a claim the defendant is guilty, and as a member of a jury, you either render a verdict of guilty or not guilty. And a verdict of not guilty isn't a declaration of innocence, and it doesn't say anything at all about what you're actually convinced of. It just says what you're not convinced of. So he's saying that um, just uh, that, that when you, that when we're dealing with a proposition, you either accept it or you don't. And if you don't, that may not mean that you accept its negation. And as an example, he offers a jury trial here in the United States where the jury does not declare guilty or innocent, it declares guilty or not guilty. And the declaration or the finding um, verdict, not guilty, doesn't necessarily mean innocent, it just means we don't find you guilty. Right? And so he's arguing that that's what's going on here. The, um, the, uh, if the jury is not convinced um, if not enough evidence has been brought to bear in support of the proposition, namely the defendant is guilty, then the jury finds the defendant not guilty. They, they just don't accept the claim that the defendant is guilty. But there are some problems with this use of the courtroom analogy. All right. Here is uh, Wikipedia's entry on reasonable doubt. Of course, Wikipedia is the source of all knowledge. But notice what they say. They say that in, in the American criminal justice system, the accused is presumed innocent until guilt is proved. All right. That's really important. In his, in Matt's appeal to the jury, the jury trial system here in America, he's what he didn't. Um, what he didn't account for when he says that when the jury declares not guilty, they're not declaring innocence. What he have failed, what he failed to account for, is the fact that they have already presumed the defendant's innocence. In fact, even though he doesn't account for that, he does say that. But when it comes to things like trials in a court of law in the United States, we have a presumption of innocence until guilt is proven. You see. <laughs> Matt has appealed to a jury trial as support for the claim that when you 
find a defendant not guilty, you're not affirming their innocence. And yet, he, by his own admission, the, ju the jury, when they declare not guilty, they have already presumed innocence. Um, so the Lacktheists' appeal to a jury trial as support for illustration of um, the the concept of, a f of of not affirming a proposition but not affirming its negation, this appeal is self-defeating because the rejection of the claim, that is, that the defendant is guilty, all that does is uphold the prior presumption that the opposite claim is true. You see, by the time they declare that we are not convinced that the defendant is guilty, they have already been instructed to uh, presume that the defendant is not guilty. Um, to use Matt's own, to continue Matt's own use of the, uh, in one of the videos, probably one of the videos I've played here, and, and I just didn't include the clip, he will say he is like a juror declaring that God is not guilty of existing. But, but given the way that presumption of innocence works in the very justice system to which Matt is appealing, what you would have to say is that the juror who declares that God is not guilty of existing has already presumed that, the, that God is not guilty of existing. Sorry, sorry, let me back up. When the juror declares that God is not guilty of existing, that is after that juror has already presumed that the God, that God is not guilty of existing, is innocent of existing. So the, so the declaration that God does not exist isn't merely a lack of belief in the existence of God. It is, uh, that denial comes after the presumption has already been made that God does not exist. So lacking belief in one claim, often, as it does in jury trials, entails presuming that its negation is true. So if, um, now, this doesn't, I, maybe I shouldn't have included this under the bullet, does a lack of belief in God shoulder any burden of proof, but uh, because this point doesn't really challenge that, and if I were to go back and redo this, I might put this in the, under the previous bullet. But the reason I'm doing this here is because I'm building upon this concept of a jury trial and evidence. Um, so let's continue and look at this concept of reasonable doubt in a jury trial. Because remember, what Matt is saying is that in a, juror, in a jury trial, a juror is, uh, declares not guilty if he is not convinced that the defendant, or she, is not convinced that the defendant is guilty. But that's not exactly true. A, a not guilty verdict is not the declaration that the jury is not convinced. A guilty verdict is a declaration that guilt has been proved beyond a reasonable doubt. Proof beyond a reasonable doubt is necessary of every fact that is necessary to constitute the crime charged. So what is so a guilty verdict is the statement that there is no reasonable doubt. It's not possible to reasonably doubt that the defendant is guilty of the crime. Um, and uh, to put it another way, um, 
reasonable doubt can be resolved by determining whether there exists an alternative explanation to the facts. Um, and whether, or sorry, whether an, exist, uh, an alternative explanation to the facts exists and seems plausible. Uh, put another way, a guilty, uh, to, to, to declare not guilty means that you are saying there are other plausible explanations for the material facts. In a jury trial, rejecting the claim, like the claim the defendant is guilty, requires that there is a plausible alternative explanation for the material facts. So if the claim is God is guilty of existing, then rejecting the claim God is guilty of existing would require that there is a plausible alternative explanation, um, namely that he's not guilty of existing, um, for the material facts. The material facts that, that are at play in the case can plausibly be explained even if God is not guilty of existing. Now, um, let me build on that, and uh, I, I want to turn now to a different analogy that Matt uses, not the courtroom analogy, but an analogy concerning a jar of gumballs. If you do not believe the claim, in other words, you reject it, that doesn't mean that you accept the contradictory claim. By way of example, if there were a jar of gumballs here, uh, one might ask, is the number of gumballs odd or even? After all, we know that it must be one or the other. And about that question, you might have a number of different positions. You could believe that it's odd, you could believe that it's even, you could reject neither or either. Um, but when you consider the statement, the number of gumballs is odd. You either believe that or you don't. All right. So let's think about this gumball analogy in terms of what I just said regarding jury trials, right? That when you reject the claim that the defendant is guilty and you therefore declare not guilty, you're only permitted to do so if there is a plausible explanation for the facts that uh, that can be uh, that if that if the defendant isn't guilty, there is a plausible explanation for the facts other than the the proposition that the the, the defendant did it. Think in those terms now with the gumball analogy. We've got a jar of gumballs, and there's a claim, and the claim is that there are an odd there is an odd number of gumballs. Now you could reject that claim fairly easily because there is a. Uh, there is an alternative proposal that is plausible, namely that there's an even number. This is a plausible alternative, and, and for which reason we can reject the claim that there's an odd number without embracing either one. We, we, this, this alternative is plausible, and, and so somebody can say, I'm not convinced, because the alternative is plausible. And the reason that it's plausible is because the only material fact that requires a plausible explanation is that some number of gumballs is inside the jar. And since any number can be odd or even, um, it's, a, it's, it's like a flip of a coin, right? There's a 50-50 chance of it either being odd or even. And since it's very plausible that the number of balls in the jar is in fact even rather than odd, this is a very plausible alternative, and so it makes sense for the uh, somebody to say, I'm not convinced that there's an odd number of gumballs in the jar, because the alternative is plausible. But let's add another material fact. Let's say that this, num this jar with the gumballs is a, a game, and um, somebody, and, and the person who is uh, inviting people to play the game 
and asks people how you know is the number of uh, gumballs in the jar odd? He wants he's asking you to accept that claim. He might say, "I put them in the jar one by one, and I counted an odd number." Well, now you've got another material fact that has got to be explained. Now, if the number of gumballs is in fact odd, that would very easily explain that material fact. The fact that somebody is claiming to have put them in the jar and counted them one by one um, is easily and claims that that number is odd is easily explained by the proposition that the number of gumballs is odd. But if that proposition is not to be accepted, then the alternative must be plausible, namely that there are in fact an even number. There is in fact an even number of gumballs in the jar. But that alternative is only plausible if this material fact is plausibly explained given that there's an even number. Namely, that somebody's the person who has prepared the game for you is uh, has told you he's counted them one by one. Now, here's the thing. That is easily accounted for. That is very plausible. Because people make mistake, mistakes when they count all the time. And besides, he may be motivated to lie so I don't win the prize or whatever, right? He may be, seeing, he may be saying, if, if, if there are, in fact, an odd number of gumballs in the jar, and you tell me that, yes, that is the case, and you're right, you'll win a prize. But if you but but if you're wrong in either accepting or rejecting the thing, then I will um, then you won't get a prize. Well, he might want you to lose the prize to not get the prize, and so he may lie and say even though he counted an even number of gumballs, he may lie and say actually I've put an, an odd number of gumballs. I counted them, so that you will say oh okay then yeah it's an odd number. And then you say, yes, I believe you, and then it proves to be even, and you don't win the prize. So the fact that people make mistakes when counting, and the fact that people can lie, and that there's a motivation to do so in this case, make this plausible, this alternative plausible. The, the alternative that it's in fact an even number rather than an odd number. But what about the claim of theism? The claim that some god exists? To reject that claim, to simply, dis, to, to simply lack belief in the claim that some God exists, requires that the alternative, namely no gods exist, is plausible. But rejecting, but, but that means, um, or rejecting the claim that some God exists is only reasonable, as we've been talking about, if the alternative namely that no gods exist, can plausibly explain all the material facts. With the gumballs, those were easy, right? Um, if it's just a jar of gumballs, um, it's easy to explain the fact that there are uh, balls in the jar by the proposed alternative that the number of balls in the jar is even. And even if somebody who is offering a prize for correctly stating whether or not there's an odd number, um, even if that person tells you they counted the number of balls and, and put an odd number of gumballs in the jar, you would still have, a there would still be a plausible um, alternative uh, sorry, given the alternative that it's in fact an even number, it would there would still be a plausible explanation for the fact that the guy is telling you that he counted the number of gumballs he put in the jar and it's odd. That explanation could be that he made a mistake while counting. That mistake or that could that alternative could or that explanation could be that he's lying. In the case of a jury trial, you have more material facts. 
right? If you declare a, uh, a, a defendant not guilty of, say, murder, it could be because one of the, you know, the key piece of evidence that the prosecution brought was finger, the defendant's fingerprints in the, um, in the victim's apartment or something like that. But let's say that in the course of the trial, it, it, it's, you know, there's testimony that the defendant was a close friend of the victim and had been in their apartment recently, just a day or two or three before the, the crime. Well, that is a plausible explanation for the material fact that his fingerprints were found in the apartment. So it is so so the alternative to the defendant's guilt, namely the defendant's innocence, is plausible. But what facts must the alternative to theism plausibly explain? Or or maybe more precise would be to say given the alternative to theism what must what material facts must be plausibly explained? Well, um, what has to be plausibly explained is the beginning of the cosmos, to which all the scientific evidence um, attests. Or, in the event that the universe is in fact eternal, it needs to be plausibly explained how we reached now, given an eternity in the past, and how. Um, an eternal universe could preclude absurdities like the kinds of absurdities that are demonstrated by like the um, Grim Reaper paradox or the Grim Messenger paradox or Hilbert's Hotel. So there are some material facts concerning the beginning of the cosmos or lack thereof that the alternative to theism or that or which must be plausibly explained in the event that theism is rejected. Here's another one. The, the fact that everything in the cosmos is contingent. There doesn't appear to be anything necessary in, uh, in the cosmos, anything that must by necessity exist. Everything appears to be contingent. By the way, that first bullet represents something like the Kalam cosmological argument, or in the case that it's eternal, um, something like uh, the um, Leibniz, Leibniz's, I think, uh, cosmological argument, whereas this second bullet represents... Um, uh, uh, Aquinas's argument from contingency. So everything that we see in the cosmos is contingent. It didn't have to be the way that it does. But everything that is contingent is explained by something else. Now you can have a long chain of contingent facts. One contingent thing explaining another contingent thing explaining another contingent thing and so on and so forth. But eventually that's got to terminate it seems. So you've got, so if you deny the proposition of theism that requires that you accept that there are plausible explanations for the contingent nature of everything in the cosmos um, given the lack of that proposition, given the falsity of that proposition. Here's another one. The fine-tuning of the cosmos that seems to favor sentient life. Another one, the emergency of... Sorry, that this, by the way, is the... Um, uh, the, the uh, uh, wow, why am I drawing a blank here? Um... This is the this is so the, the other arguments the Kalam cosmological argument those are called cosmological arguments, this is called the teleological argument. Thank you. I was trying to remember what it was because teleo, te, teleological comes from telos, which is design, purpose, and so here so here's the um, the teleological argument as well. The denial that God exists, the rejection of that proposition only is reasonable if. 
um, there is a plausible explanation given its falsehood for the fine-tuning of the cosmos and its seemingly favoring sentient life. Or take the emergence of life in a cosmos formerly devoid of it. How do you get from inert matter or, or mo mo moving matter, but inanimate matter, to animate com complexes of matter? Or how about the emergence of consciousness in a cosmos formerly devoid of it? Devoid of it? If, um, you know, and I suppose you might try to appeal to panpsychism or something like that. Yeah, okay, maybe. But you've still got then to deal with the emergence of uh, and steady increase of genetic information from the very from the uh, sudden appearance of the very first eukaryotic cell. A, a eukaryotic cell is one that has a nucleus, with the nucleus having DNA inside it. Um, so not just the emergence of that first eukaryotic living cell, but then the increase of genetic information from then all the way to the unimaginably more complex uh, and, and more specified genetic information in the genome of a human being's DNA. You see, all of these are material facts that um, are attempted to explain or that are plausibly explained by the proposition God exists. Right? Um, the, the proposition that God exists can account for the beginning of the cosmos because God created it. It can account for the contingent nature of everything in the cosmos because God is the necessary being that grounds all other contingent beings. It can explain the fine-tuning of the cosmos um, such that it can support sentient life. Namely, God designed it that way because he wanted to create sentient life. It can explain the emergence of life in a cosmos formerly devoid of it because he be begins by creating inanimate matter and then he creates animate matter. Um, it can account for the emergence of consciousness because God uh, uh, designed living creatures to be conscious. And it can account for the emergence and steady increase of genetic information from the first eukaryotic cell to humans, and that's assuming evolution, right? So you can have God creating um, the first, uh, or, or, or and creating by any means, by the way, right? So it could be a special creation like a young earth creationist like myself would believe, or, um, or, or a uh, progressive creation, evolutionary creation like an evolutionary creationist might think. Either way, the proposition that God exists can easily account for the sudden appearance of that first eukaryotic cell and all of the genetic information contained within its DNA, and it can explain the increase of information from that first cell to the uh, much more complex and specified genetic information in the humans, in a human's genome. All of this is very easily accounted for, very plausibly explained by the proposition God exists, some God exists. But in order to reject that claim, one has to, uh, in order to reject the claim that some God exists, you have to first accept that there is a plausible alternative explanation for all these material facts. And unlike the gumball analogy, and a little less unlike, but still unlike the jury trial analogy, this is no small burden. The, the, the burden of all these material facts that have got to be plausibly explained if the proposition some God exists is false. To reject the, the claim that some God exists, if you want to call yourself a lactheist or, or an atheist in the sense that you simply lack belief in a God, fine. I think you're wrong, um, given what I said earlier in the video. But even if you want to do that, rejecting that claim as in the sense that you're not convinced of it yet, only makes sense. It's only reasonable if you have accepted that there is a plausible alternative explanation for all of the material facts in the event that that proposition is false. And we've seen that those that that 
plausibly accounting for all those material facts is no small burden. And by the way, this is just a sample, right? A sampling of the volume of evidence that theists bring to bear for theism. All of these and many more material facts have got to have plausible explanations for them in the event that God does not exist in order to reasonably reject the claim that God exists. So not only um, does lack of belief in, uh, sorry, not only is, is atheism not merely a lack of belief in the existence of gods, but a lack of belief in gods does shoulder a burden of proof. Because number one, lacking belief in one claim often entails presuming that its negation is true. And now that I think about it, this does make sense under this bullet. I'm glad I put it there after all. Because to presume that its negation is true means that uh, there's evidence that must be explained. There are facts that must be explained. And, and lacking belief in gods requires accepting that if there are no gods, a great many material facts can still be plausibly explained. And this is no small burden. So just to sum up what I've tried to argue here, number one, is atheism merely a lack in the belief in the a lack of belief in the existence of gods? No. Like theism and countless other isms, atheism is a proposition. The proposition that no gods exist. Number two, does a lack of belief in gods, if that's what atheism is, does it shoulder any burden of proof? And the answer is yes. Because a great many material facts must be plausibly explained if the proposition some gods exist is rejected. Merely rejecting that claim is enough to require a great burden of proof because now you've got to accept that there's a plausible explanation for all those material facts. And mind you, I'm not saying at this point that atheism is, or that there is no plausible alternative explanation to those facts. But that is nevertheless a burden, the burden of, of, of uh, explaining how those material facts can be explained in the event that God does not exist. So I hope that this has been helpful. Um, I am uh, open to correction and to being proven wrong, but so far as I can tell, it really does seem to me as if um, there's no good reason to say that atheism is merely the lack of a belief. Um, and by the way, just because dictionaries include that definition uh, doesn't necessarily, it doesn't settle the case. I mean, we've already seen, number one, that dictionaries don't agree. But number two, dictionaries offer definitions of words based on usage. And we're in a day and age now where many atheists claim that atheism is merely a lack of belief. And so it's no wonder that dictionaries are going to start to reflect that. But the question is, is that really the case? Is it really just a lack of belief or are atheists just saying it is? And I would say that they're just saying it is. It's not, it's not really the case. And I've explained why, and I think it's pretty conclusive. And even if it does, we've seen that there is a, bur a burden of proof that must be shouldered in the event that you simply lack a belief in the existence of gods. So I hope that this has been helpful. I look forward to your feedback. Um, I would love to continue the conversation with any atheists who feel that um, I'm wrong on either of these two points. But in the meantime, I hope that you will come back in two weeks' time. That will be Monday... August 23rd at the usual time, 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern. And if you're new to this channel, please know that um, although this show is streamed 
bi-weekly, every other Monday, I do stream another show in the alternate Mondays, namely Rethinking Hell Live. So if you're interested in what I, if for any reason, uh, for some reason that um, would make no sense to a lot of people that you want to hear what I have to say about the topic of hell, and then check out my other stream every other Monday at 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern by going to youtube.com slash Rethinking Hell. Whether I see you next week at Rethinking Hell Live or whether I see you two weeks from now at The Apologetics, thanks for tuning in. I'll look forward to seeing you next time. Bye-bye. I've been your host, Chris Date, and thanks so much for watching The Apologetics, where we think together through what we believe, why we believe it, and not something else. If you've enjoyed this episode, please click the thumbs up, like icon, the subscribe button, and the bell icon to receive notifications when new videos are streamed or uploaded. Either way, come back in two weeks for the next episode of The Apologetics, streaming live on YouTube every other Monday at 6 p.m. Pacific. Until then...